Jerry Whelan, you're an Irish Jesuit in Rome. You are also interacting with Hong Kong, where you had built up a relationship and had been engaged in working with the people there. Tell me about that. An exciting development occurred for me when I went to a conference last summer in Spain. As you know, I always use the thought to talk about the philosopher, theologian Bernard Lonergan. So one of my research interests was just making links between Lonergan's thought and the study of the spiritual exercises, how to train spiritual directors. So I gave a small talk uh, at that conference in Loyola, Spain, and there was a Chinese Jesuit there, a Stephen Tong from Hong Kong, who enjoyed it. I heard later that it was one of the only talks that he could understand because the Spanish-English translation was very weak, but that's another story. <laughs> I'll, I'll stay with, with the positive <laughs> twist. He liked the talk I gave, which was in English. So it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship, as they say. So already in October, I went to Hong Kong to give a talk at the inaugural event when the Hong Kong Jesuits started a new Centre for Catholic Studies in a university in Hong Kong. You know, it's called the Chinese University. It was famous shortly after my visit for riots and for being shut down by the police. That was the academic side. And I spoke there about my book, which I've written, linking Lonergan and Pope Francis. And also the the Jesuit apostolic preferences, uh, that that sort of, how do Jesuits do theology? How might they do theology in Hong Kong? Is uh, something that I was uh, talking about in October. The plan then was that I would return again in July and work more in the retreat house. And in this case, it was coming straight from my talk in in Spain, the forming of lay spiritual directors, especially to direct the exercises, ongoing formation, because in fact, I learned they already have a team that's very developed there, a very impressive group of people in the Jesuit retreat house in an island near to Hong Kong Island. In the meantime, I've been in touch in an ongoing way anyway. I suppose it was basically emails, but I heard that they had started working with the protesters in Hong Kong, really on the basis of the retreat house, the spiritual exercises, inviting protesters and people who disagree with the protesters, of which there are numerous people in every generation, not only the older generation, getting people together to talk with each other and reflect about the situation in a prayerful and discerning way. Mm-hmm. This is an initiative taken especially by one of the lay women who are involved in the retreat house. I got working with them, channeling my Lonergan pastoral theology background. So I've been working with them about thinking about where they might go next in a discerning way. How do you discern the signs of the times using a bit of Lonergan as well as the Ignatian approach that they're used to doing. On the ground in such tense times. and exciting, really exciting, yeah. I'm primarily learning from them and I just give them an article or two. But of course that all shut down with the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But their team has stayed going and they've asked me to, you know, be an advisor for them even beyond any trip I might make in July. So a process has begun already virtually before we were obliged to do things virtually, you might say. Anyway, we're, we're organising a meeting by Zoom. There's there's this ongoing group of, that might start again for dialogue with, with, with younger people across Hong Kong. Uh, but there's also other issues that I was going to try and address in, um, in a July visit, such as the hands-on training of uh, directors of the spiritual exercise. Yes, you, you mentioned Jesuits in Hong Kong and 
actually there is a, a, a very strong link between Irish missionary Jesuits and Hong Kong. That is remarkable. I was very aware of this as I travelled over there. Uh, I really felt I was stepping into the goodwill uh, for Irish Jesuits in Hong Kong that had been created by generations of Irish missionaries there. Uh, a specific example of this is that they were very open to the message I had relating Lonergan to the spiritual exercises and to social analysis uh, of the current situation in uh, Hong Kong. And the reason is that the Irish Jesuits brought an appreciation for the thought of Bernard Lonergan over with them to Hong Kong, a good number of them. Uh, for example, they often studied their theology in Dublin, in Milltown Park, in the 1970s. And there was even a conference on Lonergan in the 1970s that Lonergan himself attended in Dublin. They cast on this love. Uh, many of them taught in the seminary in Hong Kong. Uh, one such man was Father Sean O'Carrollon, and he had directed the master's thesis of the Chinese Jesuit Stephen Tong, who invited me to connect with Hong Kong in the way that I've described. So uh, in October, when I gave a talk at the Centre for Catholic Studies, Sean was wheeled in in a wheelchair. He's about 90 years old, I think, now, and there was a clap for him from the audience. That's how well he's known. It's just a beautiful sense mm. of continuity of the Irish Jesuit link supporting Hong Kong and with a dimension of Lonergan in it as well. So you're working in terms of helping people with the spiritual exercises, but you're also working with the Theological Academic Centre. Can you say a word about that, Jerry, and what you're doing with them? Yes, happily. As I said, Bernard Lonergan offers this fundamental method for approaching issues that include spirituality, theological reflection, social analysis of society. So if I can just recount a conversation I had very recently with the director of the Centre for Catholic Studies, he was saying that in a lot of talk that the Jesuits have uh, about social analysis, he sometimes is not certain how to move from a study using the social sciences to theological reflection on society. So I spoke to him on just some of the technical details on Lonergan, but uh, the, the Lonergan's way of reading the signs of the times invites you to try to discern the difference in one situation between a dimension of progress, a dimension of decline, and the aspect in which God's redemption is already present in a situation, helping communities to reverse decline and promote progress. So, of course, the big question is, what is the dimension of progress from decline and redemption. How do you identify uh, each of them? Mm -hmm. So Lonergan tries to help with that method and it's connected with your being a converted person who understands those sort of differences within yourself mm -hmm. and then you proceed. Uh, but just to continue, um, Dr. Lamb, who was asking me, is very enthusiastic about the Jesuit universal apostolic preferences and how they talk about reconciliation. So the first preference has to do with spirituality. The second has to do with reconciliation and justice. So he's trying to think more deeply about what does that mean. And I was using this, these categories from Lonergan saying, well, look, when progress is going forward in society, society is reconciled. It's not a situation of class conflict, but more or less, and this is an ideal situation, the different categories of people in society are pulling their weight and there is therefore the reconciliation of the fact that 
progress is, is being made for everybody. It, this is an ideal construct, of course, in mm-hmm. some sense. But then there's decline, which we can all understand. It's selfishness, class selfishness. The whole tendency to ridicule the use of intelligence. You can't even figure out your problems. Now, what I'm getting at, though, is the principle of redemption. How do we recognize the principle of redemption already going on in, in history? Now, this will have a lot to do with distinguishing decline from progress, trying to re- reverse decline and promote progress. I say jokingly, but that's the good news. The bad news mm-hmm. is that Lamagan talks about the law of the cross. How do you reverse decline in your society? Well, we're not allowed to use violence. Lamagan talks about you have to return good for evil. The process of reversing decline is, is a vulnerable process. It has to involve efforts at forgiveness and reconciliation, which make you vulnerable to the violent attacks of the people who are participating in the decline. That's just part of how to describe how Lamagan's thinking can try to help. They, in Hong Kong, they have to flesh out what that might mean, but it's the categories that uh, Lamagan can help with. So it is an important contribution to the relationship between an individualised spirituality and a collective working for the good of all. Yes, absolutely. Going back to the universal apostolic preferences, this is the way I look on them. In the 1970s, we we coined a term, faith and justice, uh, in the the Jesuits. And all people of my age are deeply committed to that in the whole direction. However, the way we lived it out was in need of maturing. First of all, we tend to put in separate worlds the faith side and the justice side. And frankly, in my opinion, the justice side was a little bit over-influenced by Marxism we tended to mean social justice over against some kind of class that, that, that is doing oppression. Now, there was a lot of that, of course, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, uh, but I think what the, the universal preferences are trying to articulate is something that is, is less conflictual. So, in the sense, the first resolution is still faith, and the second uh, preference is still justice. But by calling it reconciliation more than justice, it's avoiding the class conflictual kind of dimension. And as I say, to use Lonergan, in my opinion, can help uh, by, because the social transformation that you're trying to promote, first of all, is connected with your own conversion and religious conversion, moral conversion, intellectual conversion. And then it's connected to your, your ability to read the signs of the times in the light of those conversions and to promote redemption as I've already explained, which means reversing decline, promoting progress, and employing the law of the cross as, as you become an agent of redemption in your society. What is the Catholic population of Hong Kong and how many of them are interested in the Ignatian spirituality? The Catholic population is relatively small. Hong Kong resembles mainland China in many ways. Now, there's a significant proportion of Catholics in Hong Kong, however, because Priests and nuns came to set up schools, especially. And so quite a small percent, 10% Christian, far more Protestants than Catholics. The English Protestant churches were, were there. It is the case that the, the more educated you get, the more you're likely to be Christian in Hong Kong. So it's, there's a disproportionate influence of Catholics and Christians in general in, in Hong Kong. So Jesuit Ignatian spirituality, a very small group. There are 12 Chinese Hong Kong Jesuits in Hong Kong. They run a remarkable series of, of apostolates, however. Uh, they run two secondary schools and then a university residence. 
a retreat house and now this academic university activity, the uh, Centre for Catholic Studies. So it's limited, but I really think they're a model. I was proud to witness how they work out Jesuit life, so how the Jesuits function and how collaboration with lay people is working there. So the on, on a shoestring, you might say, they have this retreat house, which has a limited number of Jesuits. I don't know, are they five? But there's this ring of lay people who are very educated and very committed, uh, to, often trained in the care profession, psychologists or social workers, who also are very actively responsible for the retreat house and its related set of activities. The whole coordinated set of Jesuits and their collaborators, they're very motivated by the universal apostolic preferences. Uh, I was challenged to catch up with them, really, just in this recent thinking of the Jesuits and, and what the priorities are. And uh, all of their apostates seek to integrate these activities. And let's remember in two high schools, you've got all the teachers and you've got all the parents involved. So they've quite an extensive community. But, you know, by comparison with the population of Hong Kong, it's quite small. If I can get back to one other point, though, that I wanted to make is that I don't come there as the big teacher. What I do bring is the method interest of Bernard Lonergan, which is cross-cultural and is, is never an imposition on, on other cultures. And I don't have to know a great deal about Hong Kong and China and its reality to help these Jesuits and to friends to start learning these tools so as to use them to reflect on their own reality. So that's what I'm really up to in Hong Kong. Jerry, we, we spoke about that method before, but just for listeners who may not have heard those interviews, would you just summarise briefly what that method is? And it, and it's a form of discernment as well, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's very, very Ignatian. It's just a kind of more academic extension of the principle of discernment of spirits, of, of Ignatian spirituality. Basically, Lonergan invites people who want to get into this sort of thing. It's, it's a more intellectual activity, but to reflect on themselves. Hopefully, they can reflect on a past history that also includes what he calls religious conversion and moral conversion. But what is more distinctive about his contribution is that he talks about intellectual conversion and helps you to recognize what is the structure of your own authenticity. At a certain stage, this can sound kind of obvious or banal, but it's still strangely difficult to bring people to this point. So to recognize that whenever we're being authentic, we pass through stages that are kind of a process of coming to know and decide. We pass through stages of attending to data, getting insight, coming to judge whether the insight is true or not, evaluating the facts that we've just recognized, and responding in the best and most altruistic way to the facts as we feel called to do. So that's what he calls the transcendental precepts. Be attentive, be insightful, be rational, be responsible. And then he talks about how God's grace interacts with this. So he says, if you're being in love, if you are a being in love, it will heal your ability to be authentically self-transcending in this way. Now, that's the basis of everything else. He, he will proceed to talk about how to do other academic methods, for example, how to have theology integrating with a, the use of the social sciences in studying the signs of the times, that they all become more applied methods down the road once you already have a sense of fundamental method, 
which is the one I've just described. What is the basic structure of our authenticity? Everybody can recognize that in themselves. And yeah. I find in Hong Kong, people who already have a considerable educational background and a considerable exposure to Ignatian spirituality, the people I'm meeting, take very readily to this whole philosophical approach. By the way, you know, I wrote this book on Pope Francis. I believe that he's saying remarkably the same thing. He hasn't read uh, uh, Lonergan, but Lonergan can support his project. So he talks about time is more important than space. You've got to give the authentic process time, whether it's in your own personal life or in community, reflecting about what to do next. There's a way to become more explicitly self-aware of the method that you have to proceed. But it's time-based. And as Pope Francis says, you're into a process of people building. And you just have to go step by step, wait for the insights to come about what is responsible for each stage. That reminds me of his latest document on the Amazon. That seems to be running through it, even in his decisions around not having married priests in the region or women deacons, but yet leaving it open for people to start really reflecting themselves. Yes, quite so. There are some very good commentators on Querida Amazonia on this issue. And a number of them explain the kind of political background that Pope Francis had to write his letter within. And that included the extreme reaction against any loosening of the celibacy arrangements. So there was an increasing polarisation leading up to his producing his uh, apostolic exhortation. And that became part of his discernment, I think. Uh, He used a principle that is very much from Lonergan, but it's very directly Ignatian as well, saying, look, you don't make a decision until you're in consolation, until the ducks are in a row, so to speak, until you're clear that it's right. And if issues for the moment, when they are being discussed, they provoke polarization, then the time is not right to make a decision. As Ignatius said, you know, a good decision will be like water dropping on a sponge. You'll know it's the right thing when the time comes to make a decision.